and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, we've got the big man himself. It's Mark Cooper, the manager of Yeovil Town. Tom Bailey joins us. Steve Rutter's back in the country and he's here as well. I might contribute a bit. And of course, Mr. Sarcasm himself, Rick Hyatt, is here. So, sit down and let's listen to what the manager, Mark Cooper, has to tell us about his fantastic winning run of 14 matches. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. Our guests today include, first of all, the big boss. It's Mark Cooper, the manager of Yeovertown. Evening, Mark. Good evening. And Steve Rutter's managed to stay in this country for a couple of days, so we've grabbed him as well. All right, Steve? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right, mate. We've got a bit of man flu, so if I sound a bit croaky. All right, so you keep it to yourself and you'll be all right. That's all right. And uh, Thomas Bailey, he's here as well. All right, Tom? Good evening, lovely to be here. And I'm here, so that's your lot for this week, so uh, let, let's get started really. Over to you, Tom. Right, well, um, Mark, since we last spoke on the pod, there's there's been a lot that's that's been uh, going on. Um, one that I'm particularly happy with is the artificial hoodoo has been broken with that late win over, over Worthing. Obviously, there's the record-setting win as well. Um, how have you been? How's it all been going? in the world of Mark Cooper? Personally, yeah. I mean, it's great as a, as a manager and a coach when you win, isn't it? It makes your whole week or weekend. Um, because it means you're stick-free. You're not getting battered by everyone. Um, and it means you're doing something right. So, yeah, it's been great uh, for me. Um, for the team, they've been tremendous. We've We've played some fantastic football. We've dug in at times when we've had to. We've got late winners. Um, so, yeah, great. All good at the minute. Real. Yeah, I mean, as you say, there's there's definitely been um, a variety of wins. I mean, there's the, the absolute thumping that Avely took in the first half and then sat in for that one. You've got your your sturdy wins against uh, Gateshead and Southend, which is, again, brilliant. Um it's it's great to see just a variety a variety of wins. It's lovely to see wins, but also a variety of wins. So, um, yeah, things. How have you kept them motivated in this in this sort of um, long winning run? Because fourteen is is no mean feat yeah. for any level. I think going back to the, we have a real sort of distinct way of of how we want to play in possession, but we had to drastically change that when we played Southend and Gateshead because they're superior to us in in possession certain that there are league above us um and we had to sacrifice and we had to play a different kind of way and the most pleasing thing was that the players executed that brilliantly well and you know we we counter-attacked and, and managed to get through both games so in terms of motivation we've got quite a good group um experience uh, the changing rooms well managed i don't have to spend too much time in there um, and I think the more you win, the more they want to keep winning, um, and and that's been the secret really. Is that good pros, and we are, we don't change too much. We work to a certain style, and and we just revisit that every day, um, and, and just find sort of fine tuning and tweaking little bits and pieces. Mark, can I ask something a minute? Um, some people might find it strange that you don't spend very much time in the dressing room because I know you've you've said you don't. Uh, you know, do you find that uh, that helps or hinders? Well, presumably it must help because you wouldn't do it if it didn't if it hindered. But uh... no, I think as the players, I mean, of course, I go in there before a game and um, I go in there at say quarter to two, um, and I'll go in there at five to three, and at half time. But during the week, um, I think the players 
don't really want the manager. It's their, it's their space, isn't it? If they want to come and see me, they know where I am. And then I, I speak to them out on the training pitch. And if you've got good characters, they manage a changing room. And, and um, I think back to when I played and Steve and I, you don't want to change, you don't want a manager in the changing room all the time, you know, spying on thinking, well, what's he doing? And so I like to give them a, their own bit of space and responsibility. Steve, what do you make of that? Does that sort of, you know, go along your, yeah. with your theories? Yeah. I think when he says he doesn't spend a lot of time in the changing room, that doesn't mean to say he doesn't spend a lot of time with the players. Yeah. Because actually, you just meet them informally. You know, you meet them walking down the corridor. But like Mark says, it's like your kids' bedrooms. You know, your kids love you, but they don't want you in their bedroom, do they? And, and that's the same in a way. It's like it's a player's space. So you don't spend a massive amount of time in there as a manager. You spend a lot of your time in informal discussions with individual players or two players, or you know, you'll have team meetings and that for the whole group. But it doesn't mean to say just because you're not in their faces all the time that you're not constantly in communication with them and doing something with them. So I'd agree. I think the best changing rooms are the ones that self-regulate. And actually, the senior players will bring the problems to the manager. They'll say, this was a problem. We've sorted it, Gaffer. And they only hand it on if it, if it needs to go to like a higher authority. Fair enough. Tom? Uh, I have no comment on dressing rooms, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll move it on. Um, with... Obviously, we we just we spoke about the the winning run. That obviously, well, typical that you're on after that comes to an end. Um, you spoke about in your in your post match um, chat that went up on on the social medias um, that taught pretty much what you what you said. I I agreed with when I've gone on to um, talk about it with with friends and like going onto the the Glovers cast and stuff like that. I I agree essentially with your um, with your assessment. Talky deserving the win. Um, you mentioned about the structure issues um, with for both of the goals. Was that like a, a major concern, or was that something that's just a one-off and and has been looked at, or you've worked on that and it's not gone to plan? I think, like as Steve will will know, it's if you, you need to have to have a successful team, you need a real structure to to the way you play, and it can be. So the first goal we concede after two minutes is. Um, a free kick and we're supposed to have two men on the ball in a wide area <clears throat> and we have one man on the ball so the second person that's supposed to be on the ball goes into the penalty area Torquay clear the ball to where the second man would be and they counter-attackers and score so that's structure, that's organisation and that's sometimes what happens when you change six, seven players in a team, that can be disrupted. Um, the second goal comes from a throw-in. We play with a box in midfield. Um, there was no box in midfield for for the strike. Um, and no coincidence, the man gets a free shot through the middle of our midfield. So if that's not there, I said to the players today, we went through it. If you've got really good players and you're really organised and the structure of your team's right, you win a lot of games. If you've got really good players and you've got no structure, you'll lose two, win two, draw one, win another three, lose two. Because it becomes more about percentages and luck. And, and I'm really big on having that organisation, certainly, you know, in possession of the ball as well. When we have it to make sure if the ball turns over, we're set in a way that we we can recover and, and stop counter-attack. And, and we were really poor at that on Saturday. And, and that's why we lost the game. Not not really to do with Col uh, with Torquay's play. It was to do with our organisation. The structure was was not at the usual level. Was it um, by sorry? Was it by design, uh, Mark? Or that you, you 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 made quite a few changes, didn't you? This I mean, were were they injuries or were you just giving them a rest or how did you see it? So so Michael Smith's thirty five. He's been arguably our, one of our best players. Uh, he covers 12k every game. Um, it started to feel a little bit of tightness in his, you know, hamstring. And to me, it made no sense for him to play another game and risk us losing him for six weeks. So we just gave him the weekend off. Mm. Morgan Williams played the last three games with a tight hamstring, and uh, um, he hyperextended his knee against Torquay away in the league game. 
He had to rest. Jake Warnell put, tweaked his hamstring on Tuesday night. He wasn't fit. Matthew Worthing and had a tight quad or, or something, played every minute nearly of every game. Um, Jordan Stevens pulled his hamstring. Frank Nubel and Reese Murphy have been on fire. So we had to freshen it up. Uh, and I make no apologies for doing that. It, it was the right thing to do. Even if we would have won the game, it would have been the right thing to do. Okay, fair, fair comment. No, I think I definitely agree with that as well. It was good to see some fresh faces in the side, obviously. Um, it was great to see Josh back in the team after a bit of time out. Do you th- has that helped him with his long-term fitness, that full 90 to get his, well, get some minutes back in the legs? And I could say the same about Bell. I could say the same about Maguire, Drew. It was, it was great to see all of them back, to be honest. Um, yeah, do you see that sort of helping out long-term fitness to help him get a, a couple of more chances or is there it's more tactical-based, would you say? Well, I think, I think the boys that haven't been played, they, they, they cr- they've been crying out for an opportunity and... They, they got that opportunity on Saturday. You know, Jordan Maguire-Drew, Josh Staunton, um, Jake Hyde, um, Josh Hours. So we gave boys that have have played minutes at the start of the season, we gave them some, you know, big minutes on Saturday. Um, with Josh Staunton, we, we have a way of defending where we like to defend quite close to the halfway line because... It helps us to to be closer to the ball when we lose it, um, and it closes the distances between the the units, so we can get pressure on the ball closer to their goal. Obviously, Josh likes to defend a bit deeper, so you know it probably suits Josh more to play in the back three when he's got players alongside him. So if we play a back three, then Josh will come into the reckoning for sure. And uh, it was great as well seeing Idahan make his debut as well on, on the left-hand side. Um, I think, again, your assessment was was pretty much bang on as well with the first 20, struggled a bit when he grew into the game. He looked brilliant. Do you see him being, uh, firstly, is there perhaps an option to keep him for longer than the January that uh, that was previously um, announced? And do you think he's he's going to have some more first-team opportunities with, with one or continuing to be out? Yeah, that's that's the reason we we brought him in was to play because obviously we've lost one off a, a few weeks with a hamstring and we'd had we'd had eyes on on Duncan for a long time and probably the one position we couldn't cover was left sided centre back and Steve will know being a centre back it's, it's really crucial I think that if you can have a left foot on the left and a right foot on the right it it makes the it makes everything a lot more smooth and if you've got two right footers it just feels awkward or two left footers um so it was important that we tried to bring in a like for like replacement for Jake Wannell and Duncan is that he's he's really quick he's aggressive and he's left footed so he will do really well for us because um like I say he's been on the champion he's been on the bench this season for Bristol City for I don't know seven or eight games and if you're you can't do that if you're a mug um, so we're really confident that he'll do really well. That premium out there as well, Mark, left-footed centre-backs. I mean, you, yeah. you do, you struggle to find them, but what it does, it allows you to open the pitch out so much more because um, they can play in straight lines down the left-hand side. They can switch play and, and hit big diagonals on their natural side without it becoming obvious. And it just gives you so much more. And there's, there's more of a natural balance to it as well, I think. And I mean, historically, you'll see lots of, two right-footed centre-backs yeah. because people just couldn't find left-footed centre-backs. That's right. And they're also, I don't know, there's something about left-footers that they just seem to strike a ball so sweetly as well. Just more, right-footers are mechanical, left-footers just seem to be more sort of artistic and flowing. So, Bobby um, Charlton. Sorry? Bobby Charlton. He weren't centre-back though, eh? Not no, but he was left-footed him, but... though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But, and the other, the other thing that's interesting as well is like, you make some changes, don't you? And, and you think you're putting out a side. You hope the side's going to be competitive in the game. And that's the art of management in the modern in the modern world. When you've got a squad of players, you can't just leave the same ones on the pitch game after game after game after game because a the others become disaffected and don't want to play. They lose their game sharpness, and then when you do need them in that critical moment, they haven't got any rhythm or to come in and contribute. So 
it's a real tight balancing act. And sometimes you do it and it doesn't quite work out. And you put your hands up and you say, yeah, probably a step too far. You know, like Mark said, you win the game. Everybody says, great idea. You don't win the game and one or two people will have a little snipe. You know, you don't make changes and you win the game. Everybody say brilliant. You don't make changes and you lose. Everybody says, oh, you should have made some changes. They were tired. So you know, it's easy for everybody to sit on the sidelines and make decisions, but you have to go. And, and what you said there, Matt, about you, you, you've got a structure, you rely on your structure. And the problem when you make a lot of changes is there's going to be a gap and something's going to fall between the gap. Something as simple as two people on the edge of the box for second balls, not quite right, lose the ball, get done on the counter. And, and that's the risk you take, but you've got to give the players a chance to go out there and show what they can do. Otherwise, you never know. Have you been keeping up with them, Steve? Have you been watching at all? Or? I watched the. I actually watched the highlights. Yeah, I watched the goals yesterday. Watched the game. Well, I watched the whole of the highlights yesterday, actually. Yeah. And they did. You could see it at times. They just seemed to get through very, very quickly through midfield areas, playing through. It, it wasn't compact. Um, you know, and like I say, the first goal is come back inside only on his left foot and bent it in the corner. But they've got out from the other end really easy. So. The highlights show you what they want to show you, don't they? You know, so you're not sitting and watching the whole game and, and you lose a little bit of context. But listen, it's talky United. It's not like you've gone to somebody in the Western League and got beat 3-0 or something. So it's always going to be a nip and tuck sort of game. Um, and like you say, if you don't perform particularly well and they perform quite well, there's every chance you're going to get beat. So you have to put your hands up, learn from it and move on. And... Uh... Well, speaking of the sort of the system keeping things as we go as well, obviously Idahan coming in for a perfect replacement for a four one or is there any other areas of recruitment at the moment you might be thinking about looking at with Stevens? I don't know if it's maybe a more long term injury at the moment. Um looking at maybe a, a winger to come in or are you happy with the squad at the moment? No, if I could pick a position it would be a a, a straight replacement for Jordan Stevens with you know, rapid, rapid pace because the way we play is we, you know, we leave sort of when we build in the middle of the pitch, we leave the opposite wide player really wide. And then that pins back their full back. And then we have obviously the players coming in off, off the sides. So we need, um, we need, if we could, it would be another really quick wide player. But again, finding one that is quick and as an end product, is really difficult. Um, so that's that's an area that we, we probably are trying to target. Mark, how, how, big's, how big's the difference, do you think, from the National League to this league? Would you say yeah. there's a, a big difference or would you say the top half of this league is, is competitive and all of them could you know, give a good account of themselves if they went up? I think I think you look at, we obviously we beat Southend, who were going really well. And Gateshead, who were in the top four or five of the National League, going really well. Obviously, we had to change how we played uh, and become like a, a David versus Goliath. We'll let you have the ball, we'll set a trap, we'll pinch it back and score. And we end up 3-0 up against Gateshead from doing that. But you can't do that every week. The fans won't have that, will they? You know, So yeah. it's like, I think the difference is quite big. I think there's four or five teams at our level that would compete in the National League. Um, you've got the full-time, part-time element, nearly all full-time in the National League. Still quite a few part-time teams in the South. Um, so I think I think there is a big gap, but I think our squad with four or five additions could could compete comfortably with, with the league above. But there is definitely a, a golfing class, I think. But I mean that what you said there though. I mean that's a a real plus point, isn't it? You're expected to dominate the ball. I know when I, when I was in Greece the first time, Panathinaikos, everybody we played apart from Olympiakos, we were expected to dominate the ball. Yeah. You know, control the tempo of the game. We get into the Champions League. We're playing away at PSV Eindhoven, and suddenly yeah. we got to give them the ball because right. they're better than us. That's right. And the fact that the lads can go out and do that twice, Southend, Gateshead, and put in two really really good performances shows a bit about their football intelligence and their organisation, doesn't it? You know, Because it's very, very difficult to just suddenly change the way you play yeah. and give up the ball. Yeah. It's like <clears throat> what, what we did sort of with the recruitment in the summer was that we wanted to try and recruit quite a lot of the group that could maybe play in this league and the one above. Um, 
and and also the fact that we were us and Torquay with a big fish in the league that could deal with the expectation. So every time we play at home, we're expected to win two or three nil. But there's no getting away from that. And if we don't score after 20 minutes there, you can feel a little bit of tension. And But it doesn't affect the players that we've got. They're like, so Dover at home, we're absolutely battered them. And it's nil-nil at half-time. But the message from, from them is, listen, boys, just be pa- We know we're going to get chances. Just got to be patient. Don't give anything silly away. And... Don't worry about the fans. We we know that we're going to be fine. So it's getting players that don't panic in those situations, certainly at home, with the expectation of big crowds that they're not going to win the game. They, they generally feel they're going to win every game. And, and that's key as well, having those types of players, you know, that deal with that, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, has it sort of worked out? You know, you, you mentioned there that Torquay and Yeovil were the sort of two, two kingpins, as it were. Um do you feel it's sort of worked out that way? I mean, Everly are perhaps a bit of an unknown quantity and maybe not so um, so expected to be there. Uh, I mean, are there any other teams that you feel are sort of getting any close to you two? Well, at Torquay were favourites, weren't they? Clear favourites at the start of the season. I think we were second favourites at 5-1. to one. Um, And I think, you know, you've you got your teams like Maidstone that have been up and down. Um and then I mean, we, we, we went to Hampton and Richmond at the end of September, I want to say. And we played really, really well. And we won 2-1, but we had two men sent off. We could have easily won 5-0 that day. And since that game, they've won every game bar one and drew that. And if you'd have said to me they'd do that after the game, I'd have said, can't see it at all. So... I think there's a lot of teams that can go on runs. Um, but in our position now, we're 13 points clear of Torquay. If we were to win tomorrow, we're 16 points clear because they don't play. And if you'd have said that to me at the start of the season, after 17, 18 games, you'd be 16 points clear of the favourites. I'd have thought you were a madman. So for us now, we just have to keep trying to put points on the board and stay really focused humble and and work really hard which i'm sure you will everything to play for isn't it of course just steering it away from football for a moment as a a somewhat of a tangent um i was listening back to the last time you were on um which was actually before that hampton game um Mr. Dave Pryor, who is not here tonight, asked you about any potential TV recommendations. Um, yeah. Now, you recommended The Long Shadow. He wants the feedback, saying that uh, he said it was it was really good. Slow going, but good. Mm. Um, so he thanks you for the recommendation. Were there perhaps anything else at the moment that, that you were, you were keeping your eyes on or, or watching? Tell you what, any chance he can give me, he can give me something to watch. I'm not like, what am I, the Radio Times? <laughs> you don't look it. Uh, I, I'd give you some. No, do you which... know what? I've been struggling. I've been flicking through Netflix. Not been a lot on lately. Hmm. Did you watch a, a program called Kin K I N on? No. Um, well, I would recommend you watch it because I've only seen the first episode. There's two they did on uh, Saturday or Sunday. I think it was. I enjoyed it. Really, I thought it was really good. Looks looks good. Okay, I'll have a look at that one. Eh? Yeah. I'm speaking that to... is a tangent. That is a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm speaking to speaking to Dave tomorrow, so we'll be coming up to Chippenham, and if I bump into you, I'll I'll, I'll see if I've got any of uh, got anything off him for you. Have you seen um, what's his name, Jim Carrey lately? Uh, you know, the... yes, he's he's busy in Weymouth <laughs> at the moment. He's he's busy at the moment doing Vicar of Dibley, but he'll have his hair gone before you know it. He's sick yeah. of Jim Carrey, so keep going. It's beautiful. I wonder what you're on about for a bit. I've <laughs> it took now. me a moment as well. I forgot. <laughs> I tell you, um, what, I tell you another one, Mark. If you like a bit of comedy, is um, Al, Al Murray, the pub right. landlord. I, I love him. I think he's really funny, but uh, and talented because he can, because he works with the audience. He can never, well, unless they're planted, he can never know what they're going to come up with. 
and yet he always seems to have a wisecrack to go with it. Very good, I think. <laughs> Very funny. But there we go. Back to football. Come on, uh, Tom. What else you got? Uh, well, just looking through what else I've got, I think we've actually we've covered pretty much every. Oh, I've got one more question. Um, on the Saturday, Alex Whittle took a, a fairly hefty bump into the the advertising boards. Um, now, obviously, the fact he finished the game, I'm assuming he's fine. But um, was there any sort of lasting injury or lasting sort of damage off of that, or it was just a, a bruise or, or or whatever? Alex just loves a little bit of attention and a cuddle, so he just got a cuddle afterwards and told him, "Well done, fine." And he's fine. He just likes a little bit of a cuddle. He's all right. Bless him. Well, it's great to see he's back. Obviously, he's, he's been brilliant so far this season as yeah. well. So. But you look at our fullbacks, both fullbacks there, Smith and Whittle. I think they're above, far above the level. And you know that they've those additions, the goalkeeper. They've all they've all helped us, haven't they, and improved the squad. So good signings. Are you hoping as well that um, is there any long term plan to try and keep Joe Day here, or are we kind of accepting it's it's the year and then we have to find someone in the summer, or or is Will Buse being pre- uh, prepared for? For next year, if if obviously we were to go up, I, th- I think we'd be foolish if we didn't consider trying to eventually bring somebody of Joe's caliber as a, as a permanent goalkeeper. I mean, he's he's vastly experienced, um, good size, make really good saves. He's given he's, he's given us a real calming influence since since he's been in. Um, so I think we'd be mad if we weren't exploring sort of those kind of avenues. But uh, obviously he's a Newport player till the summer. He's on <clears throat> he's on a really good contract at Newport. Um, but that finishes in the summer. So, but of course we'd be we'd love to have somebody of his caliber in goal next year. Yeah, definitely. I mean. Sorry, Mark. Sorry, was it was it hard, Mark, with some of the players because we've gone down another league? It's not national league now. Was it hard to get some of them to? And, and obviously, geographically as well, it's it's remote. So, was it difficult yeah. to recruit? Uh, uh, do you know what, Steve? In a way, because Yeovil's such a big club at the level, that helped because mm. they knew that they were going to be playing in front of big crowds. They 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 suspected we'd have a good season, yeah. Uh, and for the level, we can pay we can pay decent, decent money. money, yeah. Yeah. So when I when I first signed, I signed in eighty seven, and I lived in Northampton, and it took me four and a quarter hours to get here for home games because the A three hundred three wasn't the three hundred three, but it was the yeah. size of the club. That's right. Just you know, and it was at the old stadium, obviously, but it just yeah. stood out. You looked at the crowds week in week out, That's it. and that was a big draw. Yeah. But um, we got like people like Frank Newbles moved down with his family and his girls are in school. So what, certainly what I tried to do in the summer was was to try and bring more of a a local feel to it. So yeah. so that the boys were close and they were moving down or in and around the area, or they had a connection to the area. Yeah. So you know we've got more Bristol-based players, Devon-based players sort of local, more local boys players now. And we haven't got as many travelling, which yeah. I think is key because you can Massive, get, yeah. yeah, I think you get more of a buy-in. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And did, I mean, not being, we don't want to try into obviously the personal circumstances of each deal, but because they're going to move families down, have you had to go for two-year contracts rather than one? Yeah, because, yeah, yeah because obviously it's a massive disruption, isn't it, to yeah. move two daughters, bring them in and, and obviously that fits in again, Steve, with, with the players that we did that were ones that we yeah. thought could go again next year. Mm. Well, so we, we spoke early on the podcast, yeah. Ed, if you remember, and we said about what sort of players do you go for. People said, do you go for really good National League South players? And the conclusion we came up with was, well, if you get really good National League South players, you'll be a really good National League South team. But actually, yeah. if you go up, you've got to start all over again. We've tried to look above so the players mm. that we've recruited uh, are too good for the level and yeah. are at least comfortable national league players mm. um i think you see it you see it time and again so if you get one promotion you can easily get another one because of the momentum and you ride that wave yeah. and 
Yeah. And if you were to get promoted and you go up and you get a good start and you get them, you don't know anything can happen. So yeah. that's well, we had that at, plan. We had that at Luton, didn't we, when I was there for the season in the that's first right. division. They'd gone yeah. the year before and with Nath and it just sort of kicked on, even though Nath left and that, Mick took over, Mick Harford. That's right. We just went up again. And I think that's we right. went 28 games unbeaten and just, yeah. like you say, the momentum is immense, isn't it? And Massive. you can't buy that because it goes yeah. very quickly, doesn't it? It can disappear just as quickly as you get it. And, and that's... Well, I had, a, I had a little nibble at the players this morning that, and you will know that the tiny, tiny details are the things that either keep your run going yeah. or stop your run. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the Farnborough game, our set pieces defensively weren't good, free headers, people thinking, oh, well, they're never going to score, I'm not going to mark properly. We get away with it. Saturday, because we make changes, we don't nail it down, and chances that teams are missing or hitting the post, suddenly they go in on Saturday. So the tiny, tiny details are the things that are the most important thing, because if you add all them together, they end up going a long, long way to either being successful or not, in my opinion. Yeah. And I suppose the fact that if you are going for the better level players, it gives you not exactly a guarantee, but it certainly goes a long way towards having a guarantee of having a successful season and then hopefully carrying it on in the in the National League. Yeah, there is no guarantee. You know, you look at some teams have massive budgets and don't and don't do anything. You've also have to have that. You have to find the right character. It's no good them being really good players, but absolute dickheads in the changing room. Mm. You got to have good blokes as well, good guys. So for us, the the character reference and making sure that they were the right type probably was more important than their ability. I think because if you get that bit wrong it can cause a big, big issues in your changing room. So that bit was key. Anyone that we weren't sure about, we didn't touch. Even but, if we thought they could really help us, we wanted to make sure that we had... I saw it last year with the players that were brought in um, above me that they weren't the right type for Yeovil Town. Hmm. Totally the wrong type of player for the football club. And we ended up having a split changing room couldn't win a game and it was a horrendous experience and and I said if, if I got an opportunity to build that the character of, of the players we brought in was was paramount. Well I suppose it, it shows why all these big clubs and my, my team in particular are so desperate to get the right football director or recruitment manager whatever you want to call the, t the title they give them but I mean you know it, it's becoming a key position in most of these Premier League clubs now isn't it? Yeah, I don't think you need, and Steve will know this, I don't think you need a, a director of football or a recruitment director at our level. I, I just don't think you need it in the Conference South or even the National League. I think there's enough expertise amongst the staff to be able to do that. But certainly, since Steve's talking about Luton and at that level, I think it's key because I think your recruitment, is, and your recruitment has to be the biggest part. I think if you get that wrong, you're snookered. Mm. I think that's why they do so well, Mark. When yeah. you look at Luton, yeah. Mick Harford, yeah. Mick Harford, if you cut him in half, he is Luton Town through and through. Yeah. And he understands the ethos of the club. That's he right. understands what they were about. He understands what a Luton Town player looks like, whether Luton Town are in the National League or they're in the Premier League. Now, he knows they can't go out and buy the same as Chelsea or Tottenham, but he's looking for a certain thing. That you know that intangible public sometimes maybe character personality yeah. whatever, but it's more than just the footballing ability because there's exactly. lots and lots of right wingers out there, but you might take one out of thirty right wingers, yeah. and there's something else you're looking for. But if you, if as a club you haven't got that plan, then any player will fit. Yeah. So it's important, like you say, that you know exactly what you're looking for, and that you get the backing to go and get him. To be fair, because he's he's done quite well. I have to say, I don't know the chairman, but. He seems to have done okay in terms of backing financially. Yeah. Like you say, letting you get players that are probably better than the level, but knowing that there's value in them. Because there's no point That's just right. getting good players with no value in them. I think I think he was at the start of the plan with with 
with Martin and myself was that we wanted to try and bring players in that were too good for this level and could compete in the one above and, and even the one above that. And I think you have to have those aspirations and those dreams because that's that's what it's about. And you know, he 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 said to me, "Listen, football's that's your area. You get on with that." And and that's why it's been so good. So he's he's let me do the football. Does, so does he does he understand there's no guarantees there, Mark? Does, does I think he... so. I think he's not. He's certainly not daft. He knows he knows what he's talking about, and he knows in, in, there is no guarantees in anything in, in life, yeah. is there? So, but so far, so good. I think we're repaying we're repaying him, and um, I think he's really enjoying the ride. So, um, long may that continue. We're all enjoying the ride. Not, yeah. Well, it's my turn to take over now because we're going to switch to more general football topics and uh, see what we can come up with here. Um, and as we've got Mr. European here, Mr. Rutter, um, if I've got this right, Moldova are the 157th team in ranked team in Europe. And yep. yet, all they've got to do is to beat Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic. Yeah, yeah that's right. To, get to qualify through, for the final. Which is an absolute joke, is it not? Yeah. Well, apart from the fact that they'll finish second in the group behind Albania, who qualified as winners. Right. So that tells you the changing dynamic of European football, doesn't it? Does right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, surely the the, the system is, well, is wrong, though, isn't it? I mean, to, to well, no. Up... Hang on. Listen. In the other group, Denmark's group, Republic of Ireland's group, uh, sorry, Northern Ireland's group, Slovenia play Kazakhstan. Whoever wins, if it's a draw, Slovenia go through. If Kazakhstan win, they qualify for the finals. That's that's what's happened to Europe. Europe has been, you know, Yugoslavia has been fragmented into seven countries. The old Russian Federation is now twenty-two different countries, whatever it is, and all these countries get an opportunity, and and you know, this it's their chance, isn't it? So if they beat the Czech Republic, who, if you remember, were in England's group at the Euros, um, if they beat the Czech Republic in the Czech Republic, they'll deserve to go to the final. Simple as that. Probably well, unlikely, though, but uh, yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are some classic. I don't know if you've looked at it, but there are some brilliant ones. I mean, you've got um, the Wales group's not decided yet, is it? No. Because um, uh, Croatia need a, basically a point to go to go through. Um, the Czech Republic. That, the other game I just said about there. You have got Ukraine, Italy. Yeah, well, that Ukraine, could be. Italy is. Yeah, that could that's be. A good game. That's a good game tonight. It is, isn't it? So yeah. you know, and then you got the game the other week. Which does make you raise a few eyebrows. France fifteen, Gibraltar nil. I thought it was fourteen, but still, I'll take you away. Well, I th well, mine said fifteen, but if it was fourteen, then fourteen. Let's not let's not quibble <laughs> about one goal. But I mean, that is embarrassing at international level. Whatever team you are coaching. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Think, what, what do you think, Mark? Well, I, just, I, I think that I think, like Steve said, there's so many different nations now that have all employing really good coaches and and they can get they can get organized and in one game if you, if you're in a group of four or five and you've got a small amount of games you can you can get some results and cause them you look at england the other night so they're playing malta there is nothing on that game for england whatsoever the last place they want to be is on a wet friday night playing malta at home there's no jeopardy for them they're not on that every Saturday in the Premier League for three points and they're playing on the edge and Steve will know that playing on the edge you, you're right at it there's no jeopardy for those players the other night and Gareth, Gareth gets hammered for it but uh, why didn't you pick this player why didn't you pick that player it's, it's nearly an impossible task to play against Malta at home when there's nothing on the game yeah. and that's why these teams get results hmm and, and of course, the other thing is, like, if you look at their players, a lot of their yeah. players don't play in the countries. You know, the Moldovans will have players playing in the Russian league, they'll have them playing in the Dutch league. So they're getting their experiences and gradually they're accumulating more and more top level experience. That's right. now, now, you know, Kosovo, if you look at the Kosovo side, they're, they're playing all over Europe. Yeah. So it, it, the, the gaps are the gaps are getting smaller. And this, like Mark said, the, they're getting good coaching. They're all in, in proper football clubs around Europe, or the vast majority of their squad are in, in proper clubs around Europe. They're getting proper nutrition, proper training, proper physio. So, And for them, 
like it's a massive, massive event. For the Maltese lads playing at Wembley, it was yeah. the greatest moment of their footballing lives. Yeah. So they're putting in a shift and a half, you know. So that, that, that it's massive in terms of having to close the gaps. Tom, have you got any comment on that? Um, I think as well, it's interesting to note that Germany are the hosts this year, so they've automatically qualified. Therefore, that's a big team out of the group stages. So you're going to get a weaker group like your Albania group or like your, well, quote-unquote weaker because they are all good teams. But um, I think that's probably helping as well. The past few tournaments, we've, I mean, other than the exception of France, uh, well, even then we had Iceland turn up in in the tournament because you had a weaker group involved there a couple of tournaments before that we had poland and ukraine qualify for the hosts um austria switzerland so you've got two well quote unquote weaker teams you've got your less you've not got your top teams um being skipped out so there's less opportunity for the lesser teams to get in um it also helps as well that this tournament has expanded so there is more spaces to qualify for as well so i think it's a bit of that um, Moldova as well obviously had um, Sheriff in the Champions League a couple of seasons ago so that's probably done the world of good for them um, getting in as well so you get deep European runs with some of your domestic clubs like Astana for um, Kazakhstan, Karabag yeah. for Az Az uh, Azerbaijan yeah. yeah so you get uh, one or two of them going all of a sudden this yeah. interest we, picks up we played in the Europa League we played Kabala which is in Baku in Azerbaijan when I was at Panathinaikos, their budget was much bigger than ours, was about three times bigger than ours. And they had all these Brazilian players and South Americans. And we, we got beat on away goals. We drew nil-nil there, drew two all at home and got absolutely slaughtered by the fans who thought that because we were Panathinaikos, we should win. But their budget was frightening because they got all, all the oil money from the Caspian Sea. So all Quarabag, Kabbalah, they've got shed loads of money. So they just go and buy players. But the other thing I noticed, I looked at the Dutch side that played the other night and it's not a great Dutch side you look at the Germany side it's not a great Germany team you look at Italy it's not a great Italy team some of the traditional big powers are nowhere near as outstanding as they were 10, 15, 20 years ago you know Germany if they were qualifying might not qualify to be perfectly honest if you look at their results over the last few years and look who scored for uh, Holland as well I mean that said it all to me Weghorst, Weghorst. Val yeah. <laughs> yeah. A wonderful loan player. All right, well, next, next question, chaps. Um, there's an awful lot of talk that Mason Mount, uh, Raheem Sterling and Rhys James might not make it on the plane for the Euros. What do you think? What do you Start with you, Tom. What do you think? I think a lot of it will come down to injury because Mason Mount, if he's fit, will be on that plane, no doubt because he's a brilliant player and Southgate has shown that he likes him. So if he's fit, he'll play or he'll at least be in the squad. Um, I can't really call it other than that. The fact that Jordan Henderson's still in the squad and I, even as a Liverpool fan, as Henderson's in that squad, it's a crime. He's playing in a back-end league in front of no fans and the quality is so much lower and they're not even playing that well. He can't be in that squad when you've got other options like James Ward-Prowse at home. So there's some questions to be asked. Um, not that I'm an expert, of course. But yeah, it'll all come down to injury, I think. Mark? Um, I think that if you're asking me about Mason Mount, I think he plays in the same position as Bellingham and possibly Rice, and I don't think he competes with them too. Oh, I'm pretty sure he doesn't. So, you know, I'm not sure how Gareth wants to play. I think he wants, I think he's a little bit cautious with with his midfield. I think he's worried that he can't just play one holding midfield player and let Bellingham and Rice, or Bellingham and one other, you know, go free. I'd somehow try and get Madison in the team if I could. If he had to be as an eight, I'd play him as an eight with um, Bellingham and leave Declan Rice behind to sweep up. I think I think he's got that many options that I think we have got probably the best individuals. When you look, when Steve's on about Germany, Holland, it's not great teams. When you look at ours, I think you can pick eleven really good players and. 
but to win those tournaments, you need luck because you're going to have. You look at the the game we lost against Italy. We should have won that game. And you're talking about time, moments, moments in games that swing it one way or the other. And to win a tournament, you need that bit of luck. We, you know, they're all, you know, if it, and I'm sure England will go well. But they need to win any tournament or get a promotion or win a cup final. You need some luck. And um, probably not that I'd had that bit of luck right at the key moments, I don't think. Mark? No, sorry. Um, Steve? Uh, no, it's quite interesting because that's luck is a massively overlooked part of the equation for football coaches. Um, I remember they, they did a thing with the Champions League, the last 16 coaches in the Champions League, and they, they asked some of the greatest qualities of a good coach. And it was like Wenger at the time, it was Ferguson, Mourinho, Vincenti Del Bosque. And the top two they came up with were be human and be lucky. Um, and you, ne you need that, you know. So, like Tom was saying, you get the end, towards the end of the English season, they're already talking about the, the amount of injuries in the Premier League that the players are suffering at this moment in time. Um, whether that's to do with the last World Cup or what, we're not sure, but they're, they're already doing an audit on the amount of injuries in the Premier League. We could get to a month before the finals and Gareth could be looking at a, you know, a emergency ward of players with muscle injuries and twisted ankles and broken legs and all sorts, just because of the nature of the English game. So I think it really will come down to who's in form closer to the time. I think he'll have his players that he's got nailed on, like Harry Kane's, he, he seems Marcus Rashford, Bellingham, Jordan Pickford. Um, he'll have a number of players that are nailed on. But going into every single tournament, there'll be five or six places on the fringes that he's looking at. Um, and again, you know, you talked about Madison and Bellingham, Mason Mount, Phil Foden, who can also go and play inside if he needs to. Um, so I think it'll be difficult for Mason Mount to, to get in if everybody else is fit. Um, but it, it will come down to beyond his core nucleus of his players. He's probably got 17 or 18 of those. There'll be, I'll say, five or six or whatever. That will that will come down to who's in form at the time and who's fit. Sterling's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he seems to be really on fire at Chelsea. But all you hear each time is, well, if he keeps going, he's got a chance. Hmm. And so I don't know. Maybe it's about attitude. I don't know. Um, you mentioned Harry Kane. Now we've all sort of watched from afar. He can't stop scoring, and I mean the the level of goals that he's scoring at the moment is. Is, is considerably higher, surely, than it, when he was at Tottenham. And the numbers as well. Yeah, I yeah mean, but, but he's now playing in the best team in Germany against know. the not best teams in Germany, whereas before he was playing for Tottenham. So, yeah, he's going to score more goals, he's going to get more chances, and he'll probably go around and smash all sorts of records. So, I mean, I wonder whether it was that the German standard of football was as, as, as or better than, than the English you know, the fact that he's scoring so many, but uh, I, I don't know. You tell me. You're the experts. I, lo I love watching German football. I think it's quite, I think it's quite open. It used to be quite drab, but I, I, there's some brilliant atmospheres when you watch it. And there always seems to be loads of goals. So I'm not sure the defending's that good in German. It used to be good. Um but I, I agree with Steve. I think he could score 40, 50 goals this year for, for Bayern Munich. Um, what I don't understand is why he's playing for England against Malta. If I was the Bayern Munich manager, I'd be going absolutely crackers. Mm. I'd, be, I'd be saying to Gareth, why do you even need him for these two games? He seems to play every game for England. And we're, we're already qualified. I don't yeah. get it at all. Well, we'd be certain, certainly sick about it if he got injured badly. Yeah, and the, th the thing is, like, the one question mark, probably there is the biggest question mark, I suppose centre-back's a bit of an issue still, but people say, who's going to replace Harry Kane if Harry <laughs> Kane's not fit? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, well, you're never going to know unless you yeah. play somebody other than Harry Kane to find out how they perform at that level. Because um, if they can't perform against Malta at Wembley, then, you know, they're probably going to struggle in international football. Well, who, who would, who would um, replace him then? You know, give me a name. Well, that's the question, isn't it? You know, that is the question at the moment. Callum Wilson, even Tony, but he's banned. Um, there aren't that many either that, that are immediately banging on your door. Ollie Watkins is the other one that's had Ollie a mention. Watkins, yeah. are, are they are they top top international players? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure we've got one. I don't think we've got one. 
Yeah. So, so do, do, you, do you have to play in a different way? Of yeah. course. So do you have to have an, another option that you can yeah. do without a Harry Kane centre forward? You, prob you probably have to play with a false nine, you know, yeah. and we've got loads of them. But I don't think we've got another out and out number nine. So I'm sure the next manager of England or Gareth is looking at a, a contingency and what it is. If you, It's like, and Steve will know this being coach Ed, you have to play, you, you have to set up your players in a way that they're comfortable with and you can get the best out of. If you ask a team of six foot four athletes that are not really good with a ball to play total football, that's bad management or bad coaching for me. Yeah. If you've got, and, and the other way around, if you've got a load of technicians, not many big players, and you ask them to play route one football, they're asking for trouble. And I think that's, that's the key to being a good coach or uh, a good manager is assessing what you've got in your squad and finding out the best way to get the best out of them and get results. And I'm sure Gareth or whoever's coming in line next is looking at that. Do you think, do you think um, Gareth Southgate will jack it in at the end of the uh, Euros, or do you think he'll stay on? Well, it's difficult, isn't it? I suppose a lot will depend on how he goes. Listen, if we don't do well, he'll be gone. As simple as that, because mm. the media won't tolerate and all, all the goodwill that's been built up and all the progress that's been made will be cast out, you know, maybe out with the bathwater. If we win it, then it will be a it will be a serious question for for further debate, I would think. Um, but if we don't win it, then I think he'll be gone. Tom, what do you think? I think I'd agree. I think he said that he's coming towards the end of his time. I think it'd be tricky to see him going into twenty twenty six. So I think I agree with Steve. It's going to be difficult to find somebody to be. I mean, he has been pretty successful by and large. You could say, well, he hasn't because he hasn't won anything, but. You know, he hasn't done badly, has he, really? You couldn't say he's been a disaster by any matter of means. Maybe Mark Cooper's up for the job. Yeah. <laughs> you, I wouldn't do that job for all the tea in China, mate. Not a chance. <laughs> the amount of coffee stick, in the Brazil? Ma <laughs> the, the amount of stick you get, uh, uh, lower down. Imagine, imagine that magnified a million times by managing England. It's... <sighs> I mean, we're all telling him what, what teams to pick now, aren't we? And we, that's what football is, but mm. whew, no thank you. But I think I think he'll go either way, Gareth. I, I'd love him. He's a nice guy. Uh, I know him a little bit. And, and I, I, I think, I really hope he goes out. I hope he wins it and uh, he goes on to a manager at a club level. I really do. Interesting. Interesting. Next question. Um, going back to the injuries that you were on about, Steve, I see there was a, a, some World Cup committee have done a, a survey of Qatar and apparently the average um, injury timeout was eight days longer than uh, the average. If you see what I mean. No, you'll have to explain that a bit more. Well, in other words, that they said that the, 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 an average of eight days longer than normal for, an e for each injury for each injury yeah. yeah eight what to come back no they, they were yeah they were eight days longer injured put it that way right so this committee said i don't know if they're right or not but yeah but that, that's that's going to be it's not a surprise is it so they're on about now given the what is it the next world cup to who was it saudi yeah all right so and that has to be a winter world cup because of the heat but until yeah. we stop letting UEFA, or whoever it is, put World Cups in the middle of the season, which means they play nearly all year round, you're going to continue to get injuries to players. And going back to the point I made about Harry Kane, why is Harry Kane playing against Malta? Yeah. I'll, it's ridiculous. I'll, I think we'd all agree with that one, to be honest. But uh, um, Next one then, um, Everton, 10 points deduction. Um, there appears, from what I've... I get these things come through on my phone, various, you know, so-called websites and what have you. There seems to be a growing feeling that the decisions on Chelsea and Manchester City are getting ever closer, uh, you know, like really close. Um, first of all, do you think that uh, 
Everton have been harshly treated. And do you think that Chelsea and Manchester City are going to suffer a worse fate? Steve? Well, I don't know the ins and outs of the Everton stuff, other than the fact that they were supposedly overspent and they broke breach the financial fair play regulations um and they've been fined they've been fined you know dock 10 points so i don't have a i don't have an issue with due process i spent you know seven years as a policeman so i'm quite familiar with all that sort of stuff um so if they've gone through a due process they've been found guilty of breaching the rules and they've been the the penalty that's commensurate with that is 10 points then fine as long as the same rules are applied to everybody going forward. So if the magnitude of Manchester City's breaches is as significant as it's suggested, then I'd suggest that they might be playing in the National League South next season because they'll get deducted so many points and relegated so far down the pyramid. I don't think that's ever going to happen, if I'm honest. The other thing that causes me massive concern now is the first thing I've seen in the papers since is that clubs that were relegated during that period that Everton have now been fined for are talking about suing either Everton or the Premier League for loss of revenues as a result of their subsequent relegation. Arguing that they wouldn't have been relegated if Everton hadn't cheated and broken the rules. Mm. And that is a real Pandora's box. Because if you remember that with the West Ham, didn't it, with the Tevez and Mascherano mm. incident? Um, and if that's going to happen, it's just going to be mayhem because where does it stop yeah so yes if they broke breach the rules they get penalized fine apply the same to everybody else what's going to happen outside of that i think is going to be an absolute bun fight what about you mark i mean do you fancy playing pep you can get it oh. can you ah uh, i think i could do his job i'm not sure he could do mine yeah. <laughs> but the thing i don't understand with all of this right is why is this not settled before the start of the season? So why are we having 10 points stopped during the season? Surely they can do it in the off-season. So, right, there's all the evidence. We're going to do this now before the season starts. Ridiculous. And they're on about now Chelsea, like you say, Chelsea, uh, Man City. Ridiculous. It'll end up being who's, got the, who's, get, who's paying the most to the lawyers. But, it, but it, does, it does seem yeah. that Manchester City in particular has been dragging on for, it seems like, I don't know, more than six months, whereas the Everton one was only a couple of months, I've last heard it, I think two or three months, and it suddenly dealt with and done. But for whatever reason, I suppose, as you say, lawyers, the Manchester City one just drags on and on and on, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I can't remember exactly, but... What were Luton did docked by the Football League? Were they docked something like 35 points or something? It was a record yeah. in British football, wasn't it? Yeah. That's, that's Luton, docked 35 points and thrown out the Football League. You know, I'm sure their breaches weren't as significant as Everton's. And I know there's been some time elapsing since, so everything's you know commensurate. But it just seems to me that the powers that be run scared of the real big boys. They've done just enough to Everton to make it uncomfortable, but not to make it completely untenable. So Everton are still in with a shout of staying up. They only need to win two games without the relegation zone. It's a time when they're on a bit of good form. So it's, you know, if it had happened last year, when first from last game of the season, when they're scrabbling against relegation, it might have seemed a bit harsher. Now everybody's in a good mood at Everton. You know, they've got 14 points or did have. And it seems like they've done just enough to give them a slap on the wrist, but not to make too much of a fuss. And hopefully Everton won't, you know, they say they're going to appeal, but... That's the impression you get. It's almost like a sop. It's just so I can see when with Man City in that they'll just give them some sort of massive fine. And if they win the league by ten points, I'll dock them eight, something like that. Because that's that. With all due respect, they they come across as a bit spineless at times. But surely though, you say that. I mean, there's 115 different charges. So allegedly, yeah. Well, there are that many charges. Yeah, but, but even if, even if you say even if you say half of them uh, uh, haven't got the the legs to 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 go the distance. Are still fifty odd charges. Surely that constitutes a bigger and a more, you know, drastic fine or relegation or whatever than than um, Everton getting ten points for spending hundred and twenty five million pounds too much. I, you know, I can't see it. I know I'm biased because I'm red and not blue, uh, but uh, let's hope they do it to Man United. Eh? 
No, that's not nice, Mark. That's not nice. <laughs> we won't have you on if you're going to be abusive on here. We don't allow abuse on this show, I'm and, telling you. Uh, it's 125 million quid just won Moises Caicedo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just... No. That's the problem, isn't it? Now, like yeah. you know, the, the figures you're talking about are ridiculous amounts of money, but it's just insignificant in the great scheme of things. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, we've run out of time. So, Mark, uh, uh, Tom, I'm sorry to cut you off before you had your say on that one, but uh, time being what it is. So, uh, basically, thanks, gentlemen, for coming on. Thanks, Mark, and uh, we'll welcome you on again in a few weeks' time, I hope. And um, hopefully, it's uh, another unbeaten spell. That's what we want. Well, winning spell Fingers crossed. Let's, better, hope, let's hope so. Yeah. Let's, let's hope so. You got a game you wear at Chippenham tomorrow, Mark, eh? Yeah, Chippenham tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's a good thing, isn't it? Plenty of local derbies. That's it. Plenty, Plenty of, of away, getting bigger away followings, which is, which helps us as well, I think. Yeah, massive. Yeah. Well, good, good luck, mate. Cheers, Steve. All right, Bob. Thanks, Steve, for coming on. We'll see Pleasure. you again soon. Are you, are you free yeah. next week? Oh, Mark, don't uh, go for a second. Don't go for a second. Um, no, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in Greece. You're in Greece? Next week. Right. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So, see you later, mate. See you, Tom. Jump.